If I look at all of the mistakes that I've made in my life, the colossal fails, the smaller fails, right? <laughs> Why then do I still want to hold on to what I want? Why is it so hard to let go? You all, it's human nature. It's a part of our sin nature to want to be in control, and it requires great bravery to let that go. Even though the one to whom we're surrendering knows far more than we do, has far greater power, and loves us more than we can even, even fathom, He is the Eternal One. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And surrendering to Him is the best thing that any one of us could do, regardless of whatever situation that we're in. He silenced the evil one. He deprived all of hell of its power against the believer in Christ. So why do we fight surrender? His will is better than our will, that His plans are better than our plans. And even if we've got to go through, through some suffering, that we understand that He's got the situation and He's going to bring good from it. I think we all probably know how powerful that our words are. Our words can either give life or they can cause harm. And most of us, at least at once in our life, find ourselves at a place where we just don't know what to say. And that also translates into our prayer life. Many times people will say, well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what the right thing is. So we're going to open up conversation about that today, looking into the Bible and talk about the four most powerful words that we can pray. I'm Monica Schmelter, and I'm glad that you could join us for Bridges today. Jesus, who is our elder brother, our advocate, our savior, really leads us in terms of the four most powerful words. He teaches us by his example and by his words how it is that we should pray when we're not even sure what to say. I want us to pick up in Scripture on probably one of the hardest days of Jesus' life when he was here in his earthly ministry walking planet on planet Earth. I want you to look with me, please, if you could, at Luke 22, and I will read verses 41 through 44 out of the New Living Translation. It starts out, he, and this, of course, is talking about Jesus, walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such a great agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So when you just look at that passage of Scripture, I say it probably was one of the hardest days of Jesus' life. I mean, Scripture doesn't say that exactly, but if you look at the Scripture, it talks about Jesus being in such great agony in his spirit that his sweat was falling like drops of blood to the ground. And physically, that is a possibility. If you talk to any physician, 
she or he will tell you that it is possible to be so physically stressed, upset, angst, whatever word you want to call it, that you could literally sweat blood. So I don't think it's any stretch or reading into something of scripture that's not there to say this had to be a really hard day in the life of Jesus. He knew that the cross and what he would have to endure was before him. And even though he is our savior and our elder brother and our advocate and the son of God, and right now he sits at the right hand of the father interceding for us on this day in the garden, he was walking and living as a man. He completely, totally laid aside his deity and he walked this earth as a man so that he could be the perfect example for us, the perfect savior, the perfect advocate, the perfect high priest, touched at all points with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, he understands what it's like to be a human being. He understands the road of suffering, the trials, the temptations. He understands all of that. And on this hugely horrific hard day in his life, what does he say? He says, Father, if there's any way possible that you could take this suffering from me, please do that. But, Father, if it's not, your will be done. So you see, he asked the father for what he wants, and yet he still puts it in the context of the four most powerful words, your will be done. And you see, this is an example for us. During those really hard, traumatic seasons of our life, and we all have them. Whether it's a great season or a not so great season, scripture teaches us Jesus teaches us in this passage that it is completely okay to pray that the suffering or that the trauma goes away or that the temptation will be over or that the trial will be over or whatever it is. We can ask God for whatever we want. The only time that it's not okay to ask God for what we want is if what we want is against Scripture, well, what does that mean? So if you're married, you don't pray, uh, God, will you help me find another wife? That's against scripture, so you don't even go there. So we don't ask for anything in prayer that the scripture prohibits. But it was okay for Jesus to say, God, if there's any way, like this is so horrific, if there's any other way that I can reconcile the wor world to you without having to go down this road of suffering, without having to go to that cross, if there's any other way that I can do your will, please let this cup of suffering go by. But he yielded to the supremacy of God to, by saying, nevertheless, your will be done. And so he prayed and he acknowledged the lordship of his heavenly father in his prayer. And so when you and I go through these situations in our lives and we think, gosh, I really, I don't know what's right here. I don't know how this should go. We can say, God, I really want this suffering to be over. I want this season of whatever it is to go away. 
But if there's no other way for your will to be done in my life, then by all means, your will be done. So I want to share with you an example of this from my personal life that happened many, many years ago. And the place that God brought me to through faith in his word, by the leading of his Holy Spirit, and through this example of Jesus. Many years ago, my husband and I were facing a divorce. Now, this was something that I never, ever wanted. And so it was very traumatic, and it was very painful for me on so many different levels. As a woman, it was painful to think that I had been married at that point you know, for 16 years and to see this marriage be dissolved in divorce when that was something that I didn't believe in, that I didn't want, and all of that. I was brokenhearted for our son because I never wanted or imagined that he would have to grow up without both parents in the home with him, nurturing him, loving him, praying for him, celebrating him. It was just something that I never, ever wanted. And so when I first started to pray, of course, it was for the restoration of the marriage. It was, God, if there's any way that you can put this back together, that's what I want you to do. So we know, right, that God is always on the side of covenant. I had no doubt that what I was praying was his will. But we also know that sometimes our prayers, they just don't get answered the way that we might prefer. And in those cases, and if you're in that situation, I just encourage you that no matter how awful and how traumatic and all of that that it looks, I want you to know that as long as your heart is still tendered toward God and you still love Him, He's going to make good happen for your life. I knew that no matter how brokenhearted I was and disillusioned that I was, I knew that God was still going to make good in my life. And I declared to God by faith that, look, no matter how this thing, how it turns out, Jesus, you will always be my first love. I will never retreat. I will not get jaded or bitter. I might cry myself to sleep a few nights, right? Because we're people, Being upset doesn't mean that we don't believe. Being heartbroken doesn't mean that we don't have faith. A lot of times people's religiosity and their opinions, uh, and sometimes even our own, make us feel guilty for being human. If you are going through a divorce or facing that or something else, of course you're sad. Of course. And so I laid all of that honestly out before the Lord and just said, My heart's desire is that you could put this back together. But if there's no way for that to happen, I still pray for your will to be done in my life. And I knew that if that was going to be the eventuality, there were going to be some things that I needed to do. And that was going to be to walk in complete forgiveness for the entire situation, to stay pure and gentle in my heart, to still be a godly mom, and to be the best co-parent of our son that I could be. And you all, those are all really tough things to pray, and it was a situation that I just really didn't expect and really honestly wasn't welcome. 
But God brought me to that place where I prayed for what I truly wanted, and yet I yielded that if there was just no way for that to be done, that if both of our hearts were not for the marriage, were not to be reconciled, you know, I was willing to do counseling, like whatever, but if that wasn't going to happen, I was going to be the best single mom that I could be. I was still going to be a godly woman. I wasn't going to get jaded, mad, and all that that is so easy to happen when a marriage falls apart. So the good news about all of that is it didn't happen in a minute, but over time, God did restore the marriage. And that's been like more than 20 years ago at this point. But even then, even when a marriage is initially reconciled, there's still work to do. There's still all of that to go through. And I want to encourage you that sometimes in the heat of immense battles, we're not sure what to say. We're not sure how to pray. And so in those cases, you're not copying out by saying, you know, God, this is how I'd like this to work. But if, that, if, if that's not going to be it, by all means, God, your will be done. Four most powerful words that you can pray. Jesus prayed this way in his, one of the darkest hard days of his life. It's how I pray when I'm in dark, hard days of my life. And even, even on the great days, I still pray. Nevertheless, your, your will, not my will be done because I know that he knows better than I know. If you look at Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 with me out of the New Living Translation, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, this attitude and posture of prayer, the first example, right, was this really hard situation in Jesus' life. And I shared with you a hard situation for my personal life. And beyond that, Jesus still said, this is the daily prayer, right? Your will be done. This attitude or posture, so to speak, in prayer requires bravery, right? Because it is in our human nature to hold on to what we want and to how we want to do it. And you think about it. If I look at all of the mistakes that I've made in my life, the colossal fails, the smaller fails, right? (laughs) Why then do I still want to hold on to what I want? Why is it so hard to let go? You all, it's human nature. It's a part of our sin nature to want to be in control, and it requires great bravery to let that go. Even though the one to whom we're surrendering knows far more than we do, has far greater power, and loves us more than we can even even fathom. And yet, for us as human beings, as the Bible says, this treasure right in jars of clay, that our lives right are just vapor, just a mist a little while, and then we are no more. The Old Testament says that he remembers our frames. We are but dust. We see in part, we know in part, and yet we want to scramble to hold on with everything we've got. 
when he's asking us by faith to let go with everything that we have and to believe that he is going to work everything out for our good because he loves us, because we love him, and because we're called according to his purpose. You all, submission does not come easy, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And one of the things that builds our faith is to know the word. So when you're in those moments where you just don't want to surrender and you just don't feel like you have enough to be brave, begin to understand that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first, the last, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He is the eternal one. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And surrendering to him is the best thing that any one of us could do, regardless of whatever situation that we're in. He is the one who silenced hell. Can you imagine that kind of power? That Jesus Christ, through the power of God, silenced every voice of hell, the evil one. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. He silenced the evil one. He deprived all of hell of its power against the believer in Christ. So why do we fight surrender? Well, we don't know all the reasons for that. But one of the ways to defeat that in our lives is to make a commitment to grow our faith and to be brave enough and faithful enough to believe that his will is better than our will, that his plans are better than our plans. And even if we've got to go through, through some suffering, that we understand that he's got the situation and he's going to bring good from it. I will put the verses that I just shared and some others up on the website in the online extras for today because I truly believe the Bible teaches us the only way to grow our faith is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more scripture that we can know, the braver that we can be to surrender the braver that we can be in those situations that seem larger than life and so traumatic to be able to say, your will be done and trust that. And one of the practices that I've made in my life, especially if I'm going through, uh, you know, some kind of a trial or something that I would prefer not to be going through, because for most of us, and I'll be honest here, right, I desire the path of least resistance. I, I really want the easy way. And what I've learned is, you know, that's typically not where we grow the most and learn the most is the easy way. Sometimes it's through trials and like all that, that I'd rather go away. But those are the things that grow us. But one of the disciplines that I practice is to sit in silence and know Christ. Now, that sitting in silence probably doesn't even sound attractive to you because why would it, right? We have phones that give us notifications all day long. My television, my smart TV even gives me notifications. People are messaging me. They're texting me. They're calling my phone. I'm checking email. I found myself before the holiday season, I would schedule a program, a, a TV show that I wanted to watch. And then during the commercial breaks, I would be on my phone trying to get work done. And I thought, you know, this is kind of crazy to be doing this 24-7. It makes us a little crazy. But sitting in silence and knowing Christ will help you grow your faith and give you what you need. And so this is what I mean by sitting in silence. Let Turn all the devices off. Let them go away. I promise 
Everything will be crazy once you stop sitting in silence. All that stuff that needs to be done, it waits. It waits for us. But if you sit in silence for just a little bit, even 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, you'll be stronger for facing all the noise in your world for having sat in silence and made that a time to know Christ. So this is one of the scriptures that I will bring up and that I will read to just declare in my mind, sometimes out loud, who Christ is so that I can put all of this crazy back in perspective. And it's Colossians 1. I'll start with 15 and read through verse 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. So you think about that, the supremacy of Christ. He existed before anything else. You all, there is nothing that goes on, on this earthly realm or any spiritual realm that God is not aware of. All of these things that we are working so hard to manage, all of these outcomes that we are working so hard to resolve, he knows all of that. And sometimes he speaks to us to be still and know that he is God. And in that stillness, your faith is encouraged. Your spirit is renewed. We were never meant to be busy 24-7. We were never meant to be so connected to all of our devices that they're really no longer our devices. In many instances, they are our master and we are the slave. Like, oh, I've got to get that phone. I've got to get that. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And it's not that I think that living a productive life is bad. I don't. It's just that what I've learned in my own life is that sometimes what comes under the guise of being productive is nothing but a great big distraction from the power of Christ. So, if in whatever way would work for you, if you schedule some time each day to sit in silence and do nothing but reflect on the goodness of God, reflect on who Christ is, reflect on the fact that he existed before anything was created and that he holds the entire world together. You all, if he holds the world together by the power of his word, and he does, do you not think you can trust him when you don't know what to say and you don't know what to pray? Do you not think that the one who's been around since the beginning or before the beginning, when you say your will be done, do you not think that that just would not be the best? Because it is, because it is. And then I reflect on the finished work of Christ. It says there, as you continue, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything for God. In all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, 
God reconciled everything to himself. You all, he made peace with everything, everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And sometimes reflecting on that finished work of the cross, that his blood covers every sin. His blood provides healing. That finished work that he did on the cross absolutely, positively silenced hell. So when the accuser of the brethren comes to you to say, God is never going to come through for you on this. When the accuser of the brethren says, you've made too many mistakes. You've gone too far. This can't ever turn around. When the lie comes that your life will never change. When all of those things, and you all, that happens to all of us. If we're not watching, that's what the Bible says, to be sober, to be alert, to watch. Because the enemy prowls around looking for whom he may devour. So that verse in and of itself speaks to us that there are some that he can devour. So if you're not watching, if you're not sober, if you're not alert, if you're not taking time to sit in silence, if you're not taking time to reflect on his finished work on the cross, if you're not doing that, it makes it more likely that the enemy can devour you. But when we live life his way and we do what he says, which is to be still and know that he's God, to whatever that situation is, pray about it. And of course, tell God how you'd like it to work out. But always, always stay open and pliable to the fact that if your prayer doesn't get answered exactly the way you want, that his will is always higher and better. Even if we don't see it now in this moment, we will see it. When we pray the four most powerful words, your will be done, we put ourselves into the hands of the all-powerful, eternal God. And God has promised us in Ephesians 2 and in verse 10 that we are his masterpiece and that he created us anew in Christ Jesus to do good works. So when Jesus was in that really horrendous situation of being in the garden praying, agonizing to the point of sweating drops of blood, he could say, God, your will be done because he completely, totally trusted his father. And yeah, he did say, well, if you can remove it, please. And you all, that's what anyone would say. Any of the suffering that I've gone through, it's like, God, if I could still be who you want me to be, and if your will could still be done in my life without the suffering, I will take that route. But if it's not possible, then God, your will be done. This is the very thing that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prayed. So I want to encourage you, whatever it is that you might be going through, and if you're not going through anything, just wait a bit. It always comes. There's always something that will come our way. And when words escape you and your heart fails and you just don't know what to say, you just don't know how to pray, Lay it all out there honestly before God and then yield to him in the very brave and the very real way of surrender and say, whatever, God, what I pray most is your will be done.
and God is faithful. He will do it. We're out of time. We've got to go, but we say goodbye and God bless you. If you're looking for ways to grow your faith, we invite you to go to monicaschmelzer.com where you can watch Bridges' interviews and Monica's teachings on demand. You'll also find free online extras that offer practical ways to live out your faith. Visit monicaschmelzer.com where you'll find hope because truth changes everything. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.